This was by far my favorite episode of the Mandalorian series entirely. So if you haven't seen the previous week's breakdown, go check that out. But let's just jump right into this because there's a lot of stuff that we need to cover and talk about. And shout out to the 7400 of you during last night's watch party. And I can't wait to do it again next week. So... The Mando heads to Trask, the estuary moon located in the same star system as the gas giant Cole Iben in the Arcanus Sector. As he has a pretty shaky landing, he reunites the frog lady to her husband so Din can find the other Mandos. Meeting up with her hubby, who we're gonna call Kermit, Kermit shows him to the direction of the Mandos he seeks to find and reunite Baby Yoda with his kind, or in other words, with the Jedi. As Mando enters a restaurant, he pays the Mon Calamari waiter for some information. Now, for those of you new to Star Wars, Mon Calamari is the same species as Admiral Akbar from the original trilogy. The waiter tells the Mando that some others with Beskar have been through here. As he goes to find someone to help the Mando, Baby Yoda is actually attacked by his food. When a squid latches onto his face, which is a major alien reference, as were the eggs in the previous episode. And also, the same with Pelimoto's wig, it looks a lot like Ripley's. As Mando sets sail on a barge with the Corn, which kind of looks like the Tanti 4, sort of, in the water. Now, the Corn are the other species that live on Moncala. Now, I know we're not on Moncala, but typically, they go hand in hand with Mon Calamari. Now, Corn and Mon Calamari really don't get along, but they've learned to kind of just live in quote-unquote peace, and I'm using that term very lightly. So here we can see this planet Trask filled with them both. The Quorn asks if Din has ever seen a Mama Core eat, where he opens up the gate in the middle of the ship as a massive mouth opens up to devour some fish, when Baby Yoda is pushed in by the Quorn as Mando jumps in after him. Now, they did this in the hopes of killing Din and taking his Beskar armor. One cool thing we notice is that his jetpack works underwater. As Din is drowning, some Mandalorians drop in and save the day only to reveal that it's Bo-Katan. Now at this point during the reaction, I and the entire chat just went absolutely nuts. I actually got a little bit teary-eyed because this is the first time we actually see Bo in live action and it's reprised by the voice of Bo-Katan, Katie Sackhoff, who does the voice in Clone Wars and Rebels and also live action. She absolutely nailed the role. I couldn't be happier with the bow that we have in live action. Now, as the Mando catches his breath, they remove their helmets and he stops what he's saying. He pauses and demands to know where they got their armor. And at this point, we're all thinking, oh no, another episode one, pretty much. Where did you steal that armor from, Cobb Vanth? Bo assures him that it's been in her family for three generations, where Mando tells her that she removed her helmet and that she's therefore not a Mandalorian. This is when they all realize that the Mando comes from a different sect of Mandalorian. They say that he's one of them. Now, one of them means one of Death Watch, or a child of Death Watch, where Bo says he is a child of the Watch, or a cult of religious zealots who broke away from Mandalorian society. Their goal is to re-establish the ancient way. And she's talking about Death Watch who were the ones who saved him as a kid. Now, if you haven't seen Clone Wars or Rebels, Death Watch were hell-bent on making Mandalore what it once was. They were very purist, very elitist, and they were led by Pre Vizsla during the Clone Wars, who died to Darth Maul in trial by combat. Now, Maul had the Darksaber then, and Bo-Katan and the other members of Clan Kree's were pushed out. Death Watch is basically just a very nasty crew of people. 
They're extremely dangerous and extremely volatile. And they believe in one true Mandalore under their rule. Now I'll tell you about the short story of Tar Vizsla. Tar Vizsla is basically a Mandalorian Jedi. He was the first of his kind. He trained with the Jedi at the Jedi Temple and eventually created the Darksaber himself, where it was later stored in the Jedi Temple. Then, during the Old Republic, the House of Vizsla, the Clan of Vizsla, came in and they stole the Saber back to unite Mandalore. So you can see why the Darksaber is so important. The Mando blasts off thinking that they're not real Mandalorians and then gets into a bit of trouble where they save his butt again and they tell him over some food and a drink that Trask is a black market port, that they're buying weapons with materials taken from our planet, meaning Mandalore. They're staging weapons that have been bought and sold with the plunders of Mandalore. So once Order 66 took place, to which the clones were already on, I imagine they took Mandalore and then the Empire sent even more reinforcements there. The story in canon has yet to be filled in, so I'm waiting for it. She tries to get him to join their mission and says that Mandalorians are stronger when together. Where he tells her that it's really not a part of his plan as he's been quested to bring the child to the Jedi. And that's when Bo says she knows a Jedi that she can introduce him to if he helps them with their mission. As they overlook an Imperial Gozanti freighter, they see the weapons being boarded upon the ship. They plan to take the ship before it ascends into orbit, before it leaves airspace. Mando agrees and drops the child off with the frog couple. He and the others fly to the ship as they annihilate all stormtroopers in their path. And when I say annihilate, I mean absolutely just destroy them. They make quick work of them. We see an awesome few minutes of pure action that I'm not going to go into detail over. It's just better if you see it. And you've probably seen it if you're watching this breakdown. Where the four Mandalorians make the stormtroopers look even more like just, well, stormtroopers. Bo talks to the captain and we can actually identify that he is a captain by the numbers of his rank insignia plaque on his left chest. She tells him that she's going to take the ship. Hanging up, Din has a major problem with this, as she's altered the deal. And let's just pray she doesn't alter it any further, am I right? The deal was to help her steal the weapons, and in return, she'll tell him where to find the Jedi he seeks. But now she wants to take the entire ship. She tells him that she needs something if she is going to rule Mandalore again. The Darksaber is what she's referring to. The Darksaber is basically the key to uniting Mandalore and the Mandalorian people. Think of the Darksaber as a key to the planet. Whoever possesses it, rules Mandalore. The only way to take it is to kill the possessor of the blade, or challenge them to a trial by combat, just like Maul did to Pre Vizsla. So it makes me wonder how Gideon did it to Bo. Did he beat her? If so, then how is she alive? Now at the end of Rebels, Sabine gave the saber to Bo to take back Mandalore under her rule. So again, we're still waiting for this gap to be filled in, and I'm sure the show will explain that. As they move their way up to the bridge, Moff Gideon talks to the captain via Hollow, and this is the first time that we get to see him during the season. This is where the Moff learns that it's the Mandalorians who have attacked the Empire's other vessels, calling them pirates. Which makes me hopeful that we could see Hondo Onaka. I mean, please? As Moff Gideon tells the captain that it's too late for him if the pirates have made it that far already, he says long live the Empire and hangs up as the captain kills the two pilots. Pushing the ship into a nosedive, he plans to kill himself and everyone on board. 
until the Mandalorians get to him and pull the ship up in the nick of time. As Bo-Katan interrogates him, she orders him to tell her where the Darksaber is and that she'll let him live if he tells her. Whereas he takes a page out of the Cold War and World Wars as he bites down on the Star Wars version of a cyanide pill, an electro pill that fries his brain in seconds. And for all of you who have seen James Bond and Captain America movies, you know what I'm talking about. I'm guessing it was actually one of his molars and biting down on it releases the shock that kills him to avoid spilling data of the Empire to the enemy. Now in this case, revealing something very, very important such as Moff Gideon's location and the Darksaber to Bo. The Mando stands to leave as Bo asks him to join them on their voyage to get the Darksaber and claim Mandalore. As he declines and reiterates his quest, she takes her helmet off, where we get a little easter egg of Vader's helmet noise being taken off from Return of the Jedi. As she tells him the biggest name drop in live action history, to take the foundling to the city of Kaladin on the forest planet of Corvus, there you will find Ahsoka Tano. Tell her you were sent by Bo-Katan. Wow, what an episode. Now, Corvus is a planet that we don't really know. There was a Corvus ship in Battlefront 2, but that's irrelevant. Now, I managed to actually look into my collection of Star Wars books and went through my complete encyclopedia, which is three large books in total, and scanned to find Corvus under the C section. And in it, I found this. Now, this book is back from 2008 when George was still in charge, so the info here would be considered legends. That said, with Filoni on The Mandalorian, I could see him bringing a few things into canon, or at very least, using the names and repurposing them from Legends. That said, it does seem in Legends Corvus is a planet too. Check it out. A yellow star orbited by seven planets, three outside an asteroid ring that mark the halfway point between the system's outer edges and the star at its hub. The third and fourth planets of the Corvus Minor system were inhabited. The third was a semi-arid world with temperate zones at the poles. The fourth, a water-rich tropical world. Both produced some exotic exobiological products that sold as luxury commodities within the Siotric hedge money, or Siotric, I don't really know how to say that. Rogue Squadron once went on a mission to Disna, a moon of the fifth planet of the system. So right there, it seems Corvus was involved in hedge money. Now, Siotric hedge money was a collection of decent planets, including Corvus Minor 3, 4, and 5, and primary Corvus Minor. The fact that they're taking us here is heading us into some extreme obscure legends territory. It could tie Thrawn and even Luke Skywalker into the story too, to which I'm going to make a separate video in detail regarding anything that we know and anything I can find on Corvus. And with that, Mando grabs the child back from the frog parents and blasts off in his poorly repaired ship by the Mon Calamari. As they take off, another alien reference hits us as the face grabber is about to eat baby Yoda's brain when the Mando crushes it with his fist and they blast off into hyperspace to find Ahsoka Tano. This was by far my favorite episode. The Ahsoka name drop in live action just holds so much more weight, I feel. Like, I mean, in Clone Wars, it's cool, but it's just different in live action. And I feel like from here on, season two is just gonna keep climbing, getting crazier and crazier. I think we could see Ahsoka and Sabine as they continue to hunt for Ezra, or maybe they're with Ezra already, who knows? And if they're with Ezra, then where's Thrawn? Could we see him in live action too? Now I really think that the top Jedi that he could speak to regarding reuniting Baby Yoda or the child with the Jedi, with his species, 
would be to speak to Luke. As I've mentioned, a theory I had before the season even began, I think the Mando is just going to keep hopping from person to person, leading him on this easter egg hunt throughout the galaxy in order to find the person who can reunite the child with the Jedi, and once he gets to Ahsoka, it could lead him to another mission that will take him to Luke Skywalker. I hope, that'd be really cool. Now. In this time, I think in between him going to Corvus from Trask, I believe he could actually stop on Navarro 7 on the way and meet up with Cara Dune and Grief Karga. And the entire crew can go and meet Ahsoka together. Now, I don't think we're going to see Ahsoka in the fourth episode. I think it's just too easy. I think a huge character like that is definitely going to have some boss battle to overcome in order to, you know, see her. So I think the next episode is going to be some sort of a mission in order to, I don't know, ready the crew together and then... Finally, episode 5 will be where we see Ahsoka entirely, as that is the one that is directed by Dave Filoni. Let me know what you guys thought about the episode. Let me know what you think about the breakdown, if there's anything I missed. I hope to see you in next week's live stream watch party, as well as in the next episode of Star Wars Theory. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you, always.